You are listening to the Tell Podcast, The Eugene Life. I'm your host, Aaron Stansbury, and a local realtor with Keller Williams. This podcast is a positive look into the people and places that help make Lane County a great place to live. In today's podcast, I sit down with Corey Burkett, and we discuss the opening of Eugene's newest coffee business, the Sparrow Club nonprofit, and the top five 80s action TV shows. I am here in my studio located in the Keller Williams Realty office on Suzanne Way next to Costco with my guest, Corey Burkett, who is the franchise director for BlackRock Coffee and the owner of the Eugene BlackRock Coffee. Uh, Corey, how you doing? Always a good day when you wake up and your feet hit the ground. Doing well. Glad <laughs> to be here stuff. with you. Corey, um, I, I want to publicly just thank you. Uh, we had a technical difficulty and did the podcast already once today. Take two. Um, take take two. two. That's right. Um, so, Corey, um, I've known you for a handful of years, and uh, um, but why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your journey? Yeah, life and times of Corey Burkett. It's a riveting story. Uh, married to a beautiful wife, Julie. We're coming up on 18 and a half years. Uh, it was actually 19 years ago this Easter that I proposed to her on Easter Sunday morning. Um, fun story, actually sent her on an Easter egg hunt throughout the Rogue Valley down oh, in really? Medford that led her from her home throughout Medford into Jacksonville and up into the hills of Roosh, uh, where she met me at this mountaintop retreat center of the church that we were part of. And then that's where I actually proposed to her. So Aww. her Easter egg hunt led her all the way to me there. And then since then, it's been quite the adventure uh, in coming up on 18 and a half years of marriage. We just made our 24th move. Wow. Um, and uh, that has been across the uh, Oregon from Medford all the way up to Portland, but we also got to spend about six months living at an orphanage in Mexico. Wow. So she is a saint um, <laughs> to make all of those transitions and moves and a number of career changes in there. Uh, three beautiful kiddos, two daughters and a son and a golden doodle named Lincoln. Lincoln. Do you have a, do you have a name, a reason for why you, you named your dog Lincoln? Well, Let's just be clear. It's my wife's dog. Oh, okay. <laughs> Lincoln is a great dog, but he is definitely attached to her. And uh, so uh, Julie, Julie came up with the name Lincoln. I'm not quite sure why or where. It's a good uh, name. It's a very studious name. He yeah. looks like a Lincoln, I there guess. There you go. You give him you like know? a little top hat. You know, and the beard. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Very good. Um, so, Corey, um, you, uh, you gave us a little bit about your journey. Um, you said you've moved a handful of times. Um, what brought you um, back to Eugene? So uh, uh, so what brought me back here was being able to to move back here and, and franchise our own Black Rock Coffee Bar. But rewinding the clock, um, actually the first time we moved to Eugene, I was a low voltage technician. Oh, really? And and actually moved from Medford working at a, at a local family-owned uh, security company that installed alarm systems down there. And I came up here to, to work for a bit of a larger firm um, called IES, Integrated Electronic Systems. And they're, they're here in Eugene. And I installed security systems, fire systems, access control, even worked on fiber optics. So that's what actually led us up here the first time um, was working in the was low that? voltage field. This was... <clears throat> This had to have been around 2007. Okay. Um, and then when we were up here, there was a church that had just started uh, called Ecclesia. And we knew the founding pastor and his wife because they were from the Medford area. So that's where we were attending uh, in fellowship. And then we actually had the opportunity to move back down to Medford because I went on staff at a church down there and was the children's pastor at Applegate Fellowship for a couple of years. And then while down there, got a phone call from Wesley, Wesley, the lead pastor at the time of Ecclesia, that just said, hey, we're growing. We need somebody to come up here and just take on all the pastoral <clears throat> care duties. So that's what led us back up to Eugene. Very cool. And that was when I first met you. Yep. So yeah. served on staff there and, and got connected with the, the One Hope connection. And that's where I think you and I right. first, first met up there. And so did that for a couple of years. And then while we were there, we became uh, close and great friends with the owners of Hawaiian Time, another amazing company started <laughs> based right here in the Eugene Springfield area. <clears throat> and I actually went to work for them and became a regional director for them and did that for a little over two years. Uh, fun <clears throat> side story about Hawaiian Time. Let's hear it. So Hawaiian Time, they actually purchased at a garage sale. <laughs> so uh, James, 
the husband, he went to this garage sale because the the guy that had the garage sale was advertised this antique gun. So he went to go take a look at this gun. And while he was there, he noticed sitting in the guy's garage a, a large industrial refrigerator. Well, the McNeese, they've had 11 kiddos. So <laughs> they needed a lot of refrigeration space. So James asked this gentleman about his fridge that he had in his garage. And the guy said, yeah, I'm selling that along with the name and the rights to the recipes of the restaurant that I used to own called Hawaiian Time. And James was like, we actually went there and it was great <laughs> food. Like we loved it. And so he got in this conversation and then he, James called his wife, Kimberly and said, Hey, you'll never guess who this is. It's actually the owner of Hawaiian Time and he's selling his fridge, but he's also selling his business, you know, the name and the rights of the recipes. What do you think about buying the fridge for the family? And Kimberly said, what do you think about buying the business? <laughs> so she met him down there and they negotiated the terms and made a deal and bought Hawaiian time at a garage sale and, <laughs> and uh, have since obviously been very successful here in this sure. area and they're in Salem, Portland and are getting ready to open up their first location in Reno. Um, so amazing family, very generous. They, they've been great to us. And, and uh, so I had the, the privilege and honor of working for them as a regional director for their Eugene Springfield and Salem areas and did that for for a couple of years. So that was kind of the, the bouncing back and forth between, um, you know, Medford and Eugene. So it was Medford, Eugene, back to Medford, back to Eugene. <laughs> and so now you're back in Eugene um, because of your involvement with BlackRock. Um, why don't you uh, give us a little backstory on how you got involved with BlackRock? Yeah, so great, great guys. There are three, three families that came together to actually start BlackRock 11 years ago. Uh, they're all from the Southern Oregon area, but their first location was up in Portland. And these were, um, uh, we grew up in the same circle of friends down in Southern Oregon. Uh, in fact, I graduated high school with our COO's wife down at Cascade Christian High School in Medford and was working for Hawaiian time at the time, um, just living life, family growing up, uh, all the responsibilities of being an adult. And, uh, Came home from work one time and was chatting with my wife out on the back patio, just talking about the future. Like, what do we want to do? What are we doing? You know, what 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 are our goals? What are our dreams? And and just in having all that conversation, we just kind of rested on, you know, right here's where we're at. You know, um, focus on on developing and working with the team of people I got to work with at Hawaiian Time, and we just really felt and believed <clears throat> that that whatever was supposed to happen would just come to us you know, through, through, through just being faithful where we were at. Mm -hmm. And, um, kid you not, Aaron, as soon as we were done with the conversation, I got a Facebook message from the CEO of Black Rock Coffee Bar. Wow. And it simply said, Hey, Corey, how you doing? Lost your number. Give me a call. Want to talk business. <laughs> and I, I, I was just beside myself. I show my wife, Julie, and I'm like, this is the owner of Black Rock Coffee Bar. And she's like, no way. So I give him a call and just had a, a simple conversation of, uh, hey, Corey, how's it going? You know, here you're at Hawaiian time. How's that going? Going great. Well, here's where we're at at Black Rock. We need somebody to come on and oversee <clears throat> all of our all of our corporate operations stuff and our warehouse and roasting facility and, and working with our franchisees because the guy that they had at the time was getting ready to get married and he was going to plan on traveling the country for about a year with his uh, fiance at the time that was going to be a traveling nurse. So after some back and forth conversations, a couple of months later, packed up the family, moved up to Portland and, and went to work for, for them up in Portland and got to be um, a part of that up at the corporate headquarters up there in Portland for about two years. And so it's been a little over two and a half years. When I started there, there were seven corporate team members, and this even included the, the, the founding members. Wow. Um, now we have a team of about 30. Wow. So we've moved from really general roles to more specialized roles. So through that process, uh, my main focus is now for for my corporate position with BlackRock is the franchise director. I'm part of our grand opening logistics team. And then there's a lot of work that BlackRock has been doing throughout the years with a nonprofit organization called Sparrow Clubs USA. Mm -hmm. So there's a part of my role that I get to <clears throat> devote to helping the expansion of that nonprofit into new markets that we go into. That's great. So we have a, we're going to have our first location of BlackRock in Eugene opening up. The hope is mid-April. That's what we're shooting for. That's great. And uh, it's it's going to be right on River Road, right off that uh, 
Yep, the right off line right off the Beltline, just south of the Beltline, um, right in front of the Dollar Tree store and right across the street from Buy Mart and Grocery Outlet. Very cool. Very so, close to North Eugene. Yep. Um, I know that uh, Sparrow Club, you know, we've talked about this in the past and we, we did this, just do this podcast uh, within the last hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I know, I know there's a hope for a partnership with Sparrow Club um, and, and BlackRock with North Eugene. Why don't you give a little bit of, of – what we can expect from Sparrow Club and what makes Sparrow Club different than um, a lot of other nonprofits. Um, well, I mean, there's there's obviously lots of nonprofits that are out there that are that are fantastic organizations Absolutely. that do great things. And I think to, to set the stage <laughs> as far as, you know, why Sparrow Clubs and why does BlackRock invest so much and have such a close relationship? Um You'll have the opportunity, hopefully in mid-April, to come into <laughs> to, to our location when we open up, and you'll see on one of our walls a big sign that says "Fuel Your Story," mm-hmm. um, or you'll come through the drive-through into the lobby, and you'll get a cup, and every cup says "Fuel Your Story." And the idea there for us is that we understand that everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. And when people come through our location, we don't know where they're at in their story. But what we get to do is we get to serve them where they're at in their story. And we get to serve them with a great product, with a, a, a genuine interaction. And I like to say it's not a transaction <laughs> to get done. It's an interaction to be had. So a, a real genuine connection that we get to create with, with, with the people that are coming through. But then what I'm excited about with what we're opening up with here is that it's going to be a lobby drive through So it's going to provide a place of people connecting with one another inside the lobby. And as we do all of that, it, it's building a connection with our community. So Fuel Your Story for BlackRock comes down to Caffeine Connection Community. Caffeine is the product and we put a lot of pride um, in the quality of product mm-hmm. and put a lot of pride in, in the, the consistency and the accuracy of, of what people are wanting. Um, a lot of people's identity are in their coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm an Americano guy, you know, <laughs> and there are some people that, that love to go for that caramel blondie, that white yeah. mocha with the caramel. You know, if I feel like I want to give a treat to myself, I'll get our blackout, which is a mocha with hazelnut. You were telling me something about a, uh, it was it was a, a, like an Oreo or uh, something? Oreo chiller. Now that's a <laughs> that's a straight dessert in a cup. Yeah. I mean that's like a blended you know Oreo milkshake for all intents and purposes. <laughs> and just to put an extra kick in it, we can throw some espresso shots in it for I think you. It would need that. So yeah. it's it it's delicious. It's delicious. <laughs> um, so we put a lot of pride in, in that in the product because the caffeine is what gives us the opportunity to make the connection with the people. <clears throat> and then through that, through the consistency of that, we're building a trust within the community. Mm-hmm. So fuel your story is through caffeine connection community. And that's what we hope to present. That's what we hope to bring with bringing the influence of BlackRock here is, is providing uh, all of those and and building a team that shares those same values and investing in that team and just creating a place that it's a, a happy, healthy place to uh, happy and healthy place to work. Mm-hmm. And then what that's going to create is it's going to create a vibrant atmosphere for people to come in and get their own work done or make connections with friends, families, loved ones. Um, and so there, there, there's kind of the, the elements in the cultural part of who Black Rock Coffee Bar is. And here's why there's such an alignment with values for Sparrow Clubs. For Sparrow Clubs, it's find your wings. Mm. And that's through compassion, connection, community. And what Sparrow Clubs is, in short, is that they find a family in the community that has a child in medical need. And therefore, it presents a financial burden that the family has. Mm-hmm. But deeper than that, there's an emotional connection that's needed for them. There's an emotional support that's needed Mm -hmm. for them. And then they'll get a local school to adopt the sparrow, that child in medical need. And then they find a business sponsor that wants to financially sponsor the club. And once they have those three elements, the sparrow, the school, and the sponsor, they'll come in in an assembly format. They will share the story of sparrow clubs, which the origin story of sparrow clubs is a very moving story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll share the story of the sparrow that they're getting ready to adopt. And then they introduce the sparrow to the school. And it's always overwhelming to be a part of these assemblies and just see how they welcome the sparrow there. Mm-hmm. There's a big eruption of applause and hoots and holler. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's very cool. And it's very, it's, it's, it's incredible to watch the family receive that. It's very overwhelming for them. Mm. Um, and then they have the business sponsor that financially sponsors this club because what they do is that they they partner with the stories 
of these sparrows, not to be a cause or something to be sorry for, but to be a catalyst for change. And then they challenge the student body not to raise money, not to do extra fundraising, although some schools do go above and beyond in doing that. Mm -hmm. But they equal the playing field for everybody because what we all have to give is time. So what they challenge the student body with is community service, is to see beyond themselves and see the needs that are those around them. And then for every hour of community service they do, $10 is released to the financial needs of that sparrow and their family. And that money comes from the business sponsor. And the ones that BlackRock has been a part of, both corporately and franchise-wise, uh, I get to go and I get to be a part of those assemblies. So I get to come in and have that opportunity, that format to come in and speak in front of these students. And I get to pose the challenge. I get to say, we've already put up the money because we believe in the powerful story of the Sparrow, but we also believe in the potential greatness and impact that lies within each one of you. And it comes down to a choice. And right now, I'm going to give you that choice, the choice to see beyond yourself, the choice to have empathy and compassion well up within you and move you to action, to doing acts of kindness. Mm -hmm. And so I get to kind of give that motivational speak and then get to pose that challenge. And the challenge is if you want to commit to one hour of service, knowing that you get to impact your community, you get to impact the sparrow and their family, but you also have the opportunity to impact your own life personally, then on the count of three, I want you to stand to your feet. Mm. And it's always overwhelming because I don't address it in like, in a way of like getting everybody to stand. Like yeah. I really make it a point, like only do this if you mean it. Mm -hmm. And so I'll do the whole countdown, one, two, three, and stand. And it's just amazing to see the overwhelming response to that. So an alignment of values, you know, there, there's the fuel your story for us. There's the find your wings for Sparrow Clubs. There's the caffeine connection community for us. It's the compassion connection community for Sparrow Clubs. And I'm excited to bring that influence here into the Eugene Springfield area. Again, there's a part of my corporate job that I get to devote to the ongoing efforts of helping them to expand their influence into new markets. Because for us, it's not about making known the name of BlackRock. It's about emphasizing what Sparrow Clubs is about. Mm -hmm. And they're about coming alongside of these families and the journey that they're going through and using the powerful <clears throat> impact of their stories to become catalysts for change. Mm -hmm. And not just for the youth, but for our community. And that's a big part of what we want to be a part of here in Eugene Springfield. We want to be a part of the community. We don't want to come in and say, here, come consume and come spend your money here, but come be a part of this journey with us. Help us to build this platform so that we can be um, effective and be a part of the community that we're in. So I'm very excited that I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about people personally. Uh, I, I want to bring value into people's lives and that's very much what BlackRock is about. And that's exactly what Sparrow Clubs accomplish. In fact, just last week, I was down in Arizona and over in Boise, Idaho with the national director of Sparrow Clubs. His name's Matt Sampson, incredible guy. Um, and we got to have some great meetings with BlackRock baristas. We had these connect events where we announced to the baristas and then actually just launched company-wide this last Friday, the launch of our own energy drink called BlackRock Fuel. We have the original, the sugar-free and the organic, which is my personal favorite. So there was a lot of hype to that. But then we also got to introduce to the baristas mm -hmm. our ongoing relationship and efforts with Black, uh, with Sparrow Clubs and just looking to get them connected and involved with what's going on through the community service part, but also making a connection with these families. Because mm -hmm. there's just some very dynamic, powerful stories and powerful families that are out there, uh, these Sparrow families. Corey, I, I love it. Um, this is what this podcast is all about. Just uh, um, It's not just about a successful business, but also just the people and places that help make our community great. And that's one of the things I love about Sparrow Club uh, is, is the fact that you're, you're kind of you're acting as an agent of change, but you're also allowing uh, these youth to to stand up and, and 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 feel what it feels like to help somebody else and to do something selfless. And a lot of times that'll go far beyond anything you're ever going to hear about. Um, so uh, I I'm really thankful that you are coming to our community not just for the good coffee, but also um, for the way you're impacting um, with Sparrow Club, um, our community. Um, I, I've, I've shared this before, but the, the, the way I first uh, learned about uh, BlackRock 
was uh, we bought a car, a used car, and it had a uh, like a stamp card in it. And we had never heard of BlackRock before, but we ended up driving up I-5 and saw the one at the, the Corvallis exit. And um, we thought we'd go ahead and use it. Um, use that card that was that was left in our. Did, did or was it all punched out? It was it was all stamped out. Yeah, it was. I think there may have been like yeah. I think it was either stamped out or yeah. maybe there was one more and the next one was free. Uh-huh. So like yeah. my wife got one, then I got one for free yeah. or something yeah. like that. And it was uh, my wife does not love like sweet coffee. She likes good coffee, and it was one of the best like coffees from a stand that we've ever had, and it's kept us coming back ever since. Um, so we're really happy that we have. You guys coming to our community, especially in an area that doesn't really have, um, like, there's a lot of coffee places in Eugene, yeah. but not on River Road. No, and not that, that yeah, that, part section, of River that Road. section of River Road. There's there's really no place to come into. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So I'm I'm really excited to bring our first our first location being being a lobby drive through. So you'll be able to either come through the drive through, grab it on your way to school, work, or as you're out doing your activities, or stop in. Um, and have a, a great uh, a, a great place to just sit, chill out, hang out, get some work done. Um, the aesthetics of the inside, I think, are going to be awesome. In fact, just received all of our specialty lighting this last week oh, into cool. my house. So, oh, so, it's it's in your house right now. Yeah, all these boxes <laughs> just stacking up all over the place. So we're 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 getting there. We're excited, and it's it's coming together. Just stopped in there this morning. All the sheetrock is getting done. Wow. Um, so that means paint is next. So it's starting to take some some shape and form. And, uh, uh, I, I agree with your wife. I think we have some pretty <laughs> yeah. good coffee. I'm, I'm an Americano guy, like I was saying. Yeah. Um, and, uh, our coffee is all roasted by us. We have our own master roaster. It's all roasted at our roasting facility up in Portland. Mm-hmm. And so again, it comes down to that, to that caffeine. It comes down to the product that we give. And, and so that's one thing I get to take a lot of pride in, in, in being a part of this great company is that, um, the coffee will be serving, will be freshly roasted every single week. That's so great. the coffee that you come in and grab has been freshly roasted within that within that week. So it provides for uh, excellent product. And uh, again, the Americano is my go-to, but uh, there's, a, there's a whole list of, of drinks out there and, and we can make all of them. That's great. Hey, uh, bef- before we jump over to discuss the top five 80s action sitcoms, here is a commercial. All American Pet is our area's best pet store and best place to pamper your pet. Visit them at the Pioneer Plaza in East Springfield, 1833 Pioneer Parkway, East Springfield. They're the best place to buy quality pet supplies, get your pet groomed, and pamper your pet. So, Corey, so... Before we even did our last podcast um, together, <laughs> take one. Yeah, before we did take one, we uh, we actually uh, should have been recording because yeah. we we had a really great discussion about eighties professional wrestling, which was so much, so much fun. Talking about uh, uh, trampoline wrestling with your buddies and doing tag team matches there, and talking about the British Bulldogs. Um, so that would have been a lot of fun to talk about too. We're 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 gonna have to we're gonna have to do. <clears throat> Another one, and, and I, that's going to have to be the highlight. I am all over that. <laughs> uh, I have a, I have a weird fascination with uh, professional wrestling. I think it's the world. So this is going to make some of you mad, but <laughs> you are proving my point when when I make this statement. Is I think it's the world's most disrespected art form, um, and we can talk about that later. You can ask me in person if you ever see me in person. Um, but uh, before. Um, but as, as before we uh, get away from the professional wrestling, <laughs> um, let's uh, let's actually let, let's 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 get past that right now and jump over to the '80s action sitcoms. So, what about '80s action sitcoms made that something you wanted to talk about today? Well, I'm I'm a product of the '80s. I'm a child of the '80s. I was born in '77. Uh, so it's a great year. You know, the, the most influential decade of my life was the eighties. <laughs> I did, I, I did the, I pegged my pants. That's where you kind of fold over, you cuff it and then you roll it up. Um, uh, I, I had the pastel colors. I had the, uh, you know, the, just the, the whole eighties look even for, for a bit there, I had the little mullet going on. Um, <laughs> I had a rat tail as a child <laughs> for a little, before I had the bowl cut, I had a little teeny rat oh, tail. Oh yeah. The bowl cut came, is... came after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I mean, I, it almost just doesn't get better when it comes to TV action sitcoms than the classic eighties. <clears throat> 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we jump to the top five, let's uh, let's talk about a couple of the ones that did not quite make the top five yeah, list. Yeah, so the, the honorable mentions, if you will, uh, that I had on my list anyways, and these were ones that I just remember just watching and uh, th- throughout the years. Uh, one that was on there, Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Which I had never heard of. Yep. So, and, and actually as I, as I begin kind of thinking through, I was trying to recall and remember all the ones. And that's just one that I remember, like we would, would be on in our home. I don't remember kind of the premise to it or anything, but just remember that that was one that was on. Another one, of course, is the classic Star Trek, right? Mm. Uh, growing up in the eighties, if my dad was watching TV, it was either Star Trek or, (laughs) or MASH. So, uh, Star Trek is, is on my honorable mention. Uh, the next one would be The Incredible Hulk. Which would make my top five list. Um, I was born in 83, so a lot of these had uh, you know, had already started by then. But I have uh, vague memories as a child watching a lot of these. And The Incredible Hulk with Lou Ferrigno. Um, that is, as always, I have a lot of memories of just thinking he was the coolest. Well, I mean, what's, what's not cool about a guy turning into a big green monster and just smashing stuff up, right? That's right. I love how his pants never actually fully ripped. <laughs> you know, his, his thighs never got He just got had the sweet cut off look, yeah. you know, all the time. He kept the 32 waist the entire time. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, the Fall Guy. So the Fall Guy, he was a, a, a professional stuntman, but then his side gig was a bounty hunter. And he drove around in this uh, lifted brown Chevy truck with a big eagle on the hood of it. And his sidekick was Kid. He would always call him Kid. <laughs> so he was going around and, and obviously rounding up fugitives. So I had never him. heard of the fall guy either. Um, so thank you. I, I, I had a, I'm, I'm getting a bit of a knowledge uh, <laughs> A history lesson here. Now you can't you can't live through the '80s without mentioning Miami Vice, right? These guys that that uh, went around fighting crime wearing pastel colors. That's right. The thing we were talking about before was uh, the uh, how it just seemed like they were one big music video. I, I do remember Miami Vice. I really liked Miami Vice. It would not have made my top five, but it was uh, something that I uh, I just have memories of. I I, I think that. I, it seemed like they had like two or three music videos in every single episode, like, you know, just scenes of them driving down the highway oh, yeah. with music blaring and oh, yeah. no, no words going on. There's no dialogue. They're just, you know, cruising with music hitting in the background. I love it. <laughs> um, of course you have Magnum PI, right? I mean, Tom Selleck with the iconic mustache, mm-hmm. you know, hardly anybody can pull off a mustache like that guy and fight crime while doing it. Now I do have a good buddy up in the Portland area, um, Mr. John Brawley, that guy can pull off a really good mustache, uh, but Magnum PI, right? He's this private investigator guy cruising around in that iconic red Ferrari uh, doing his thing. Shout out to my dad who still has a mustache to this day. Um, he, he, he got it. He, my mother told him to grow a mustache on their honeymoon and he has never once shaved it off. Really? So I've never seen him without a mustache. Um, and honestly, I don't think I want to. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be scary. And I actually, and on the same note, I don't want to sh- grow a mustache because I feel like I would look way too much like now, him, how long have which you had is a, great. How but, long have you had a beard for? So again, uh, my, right at the beginning of my relationship with Jenny before we were married, she's like, why don't you give a beard a try? And I can grow a beard in like two days. <laughs> and literally within like the first weekend, she's like, yeah, you can just keep that. And I, so I don't know what that says about my face. So I've, she wants I've had, it covered. you know, I've had like a really well trimmed, like uh, close cut beard. And then in November, I just decided to start growing it out. It, it looks good. So, yeah, and it, my, it my wife you. just made the comment. Yeah. She's like, you know, I like it. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Corey does not need the beard though. He's a good looking guy um, where I think I, I need the beard just to cover up a little bit. All right. We're, um, we're getting way off. Here, yeah. uh, the, the, the next two on, on my list, um, which are, I, I think if I recall kind of the premise to them, they, they both kind of follow a similar premise story. One of them is street Hawk, which was this guy that rode on a black, like uh, crotch rocket motorcycle. Um, and could launch missiles and everything. Uh, the other one was Airwolf, which was this tricked out high-tech helicopter. 
And if I recall correctly, these were both like from like a, a private, like high tech um, <clears throat> mogul mm. uh, individual that that developed all the technology for this stuff and and was almost like a special ops, you know, military kind of TV shows. 80s loved like vehicles is like one of the main characters yeah. oh, of, the, yeah. of the TV shows. Um, those are it's funny you should examples. put it that way because they were like each one like was its own character. Mm -hmm. I, I, I wish I would have looked to try to figure out who would have been the first of those. So like, oh, like maybe it's yeah. the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. Because they're yeah. I think they, they started pretty early. But I'm trying to think of who would have been like the first one to really make that like a, a main character yeah. of, of the TV show. But they definitely did that in the 80s. And we're going to we're going to talk about those in our top yep. five. All right, Corey. Um, so we're going to jump to number five. Um, so what's number five on your list? The number five on my top five 80s action sitcoms. Uh, number five would have to go to Knight Rider. Great. So Knight Rider, it went from 1982 to 1986. It was created by Glenn A. Larson, um, who's really kind of the genius of the whole show. Um, he's the same creator of uh, Battlestar Galactica and uh, Magnum P.I., um, his whole idea behind it was that he wanted to uh, create the Lone Ranger, but with a car. Um, and uh, he he has a quote that says, if you think about him riding across the plains and going from one town to another to help law and order, then be Kit becomes Tonto. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, before we jump into what exactly Knight Rider was, I also had another kind of interesting uh, tidbit about um, – about Larson is he actually had a 50 50 deal um, on all merchandise. So he, he made so much money off of merchandise. So all the TV, uh, all like the t-shirts, the, the models, the toys, all that kind of merchandise. He was making 50% of that profit. Well, which, he, he made 50% off me though, yeah. uh, or must have. Cause I, I think, I, I think I did. I actually bought, I mean, obviously several different hot wheel, you know, of wow. kit, the car. So yeah, I, uh, you and, <laughs> thousands and thousands of others. Um, so I'll, I'll give a little uh, description of what what uh, Knight Rider was. Mike, Michael Long is a crime fighter who was seriously wounded during his work. Nursed back to health by a mysterious benefactor, he regains consciousness, a new man with a new face and a new name, Michael Knight. Um, we, we were discussing earlier that that is, you know, the fact that he had a new face allowed him to, basically have no history. Yeah. So, yeah. so he had to, he had to have reconstruction surgery on his face due to uh, something that happened to him. And then that's where he got the identity then of Michael Knight. Wow. And who could look better than David Hasselhoff? That's super good. Well, except for you. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so his mysterious benefactor provides Michael with equipment and support so that he can continue his crime fighting work. The most notable piece of equipment supplied is Kit, the high-performance sports car fitted with artificial intelligence. Yep. So Kit, Kit actually stands for Knight <clears throat> Industries 2000, which Knight Industries um, would be uh, again that that benefactor, the the person behind the scenes of all this would had. I'm, I'm guessing his name was Knight or last name was Knight. Mm -hmm. That's a good assumption. Uh, so during uh, so talking about Kit. Kit was an F-bodied Pontiac Trans Am, with, and during the first two seasons, there were minimal alterations. It was dressed up by Universal's prop department. The major changes were the red strobe lights that gave the car life so that when he communicated with Michael, um, and that's what made him stand out from other Trans Ams. Uh, interesting, Pontiac didn't want Kit to be known as a Trans Am to try to distance himself, um, which I thought was a really poor decision. Um, all the alterations for each kit car cost about $18,000 a piece. Uh, in season three, um, kit got a bit of a facelift with spoilers, wings, new, uh, new hood scoops, um, lots of just other random, you know, additions and modifications inside. Um, that was all done by George Barris, who's also the designer of Adam West's Batmobile and the Munsters coach, um, and we talked about the, the Munsters um, before. Uh, the Munsters, they were not the Adams family. We, we get those two confused. I have no clue when the Munsters was done. It could have been the 60s. I feel like it was black and white. 
Was it not? I don't I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Probably on Nick Nick at Night was oh, probably yeah. the last time yeah. I saw it. Yeah. Um, but I was I think they were both comedies. Adam's, Adam's family had a great movie. I really liked that. Uh-huh. Um, but Cousin It and all that. But we're talking about uh Night Rider, right? Knight I Rider mean who right who now. didn't talk into their watch back in the day? Yeah. Right. Yeah, you gotta name your uh your your Apple iPhone. Yeah, I'm actually iWatch. I'm actually yeah. gonna try to look into that. I wonder if I can rename my Siri on my Apple Watch to Kit. That because be I fun. would totally do that. If not, someone should create an app that allows Absolutely. you to do that. And and credit us for that. That's right. And we, we want a 50-50 <laughs> deal just like Larson had. Um, and uh, so anyways, uh, that's a little bit of info about Knight Rider. What is it about Knight Rider that you really liked? Well, so, I mean, I, I, I have to admit that I've been tempted on several occasions as I come pulling up behind a truck of like a, a, a car hauler, <laughs> yeah. you know, of wanting to just drive right up into it. Because if you recall, like that's, that's how he got around. He was in the mm-hmm. back of that semi truck and he would either back out and then take off, or he would come ramping right up into it while the semi truck was moving. Um, I mean, everything's just cool about that. You know, you got the cool car with the red light flashing on it, the, you know, kit that's talking to him and, and, uh, just out doing all that, that high tech crime stuff. You know, it was the bulletproof car launching missiles and, and, uh, all kinds of trinkets that that car had. Artificial intelligence before that was like, you know, the thing that it is today. (laughs) Like, I wonder if they had any clue, um, how intelligent cars. I think that's where Elon Musk got all of his ideas, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He probably did steal it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So number four. Number four goes to MacGyver. You have this guy that is a highly intelligent master engineer, can defuse any bomb or any situation with a, a stick of gum, a paper clip, and some duct tape. And he can remedy in any situation. He can take down take down any enemy. Um, he he through all of his uh, tactics, he always wanted to use non lethal ways of defusing any situation as well. So uh, MacGyver was a film from 1985 to 1992. Um, it was created by Lee David Zlotoff. Um, who basically created nothing else in his career. If he's listening, I, I apologize. Um, but basically, if you look at his IMDb, it's, it is only MacGyver-related things. Um, and, uh, and it was starring Richard D. Anderson. Um, the thing that was kind of interesting about it was uh, by the end, they were actually trying to get fans to come up with ideas of how to um, – of different things he could – he could fix and, and, and rig up and MacGyver up. Yeah. And, uh, and one of them I saw was, uh, he, to crack, he, they cracked an egg into a radiator and when the egg cooked, it filled up the holes in the radiator, which I do not recommend doing in real life, but I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, you know, if, if you're going to be known for creating just one thing, I mean, creating MacGyver, like that's, I mean, how iconic now is MacGyver? I mean, that's that's it's, part of our... It's part of our lexicon saying, yeah, yeah I'm going to MacGyver this up. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And the whole idea was that he would just use stuff that was with, that, that you would find in your pocket. So that was, you know, within reaching distance a lot of times, which is pretty tough to get much farther than gum wrappers. And Now, I've, I've been known around my house to, to MacGyver <laughs> some stuff up. Not, not that it lasts, but... Yeah. <laughs> Becoming a homeowner, you start doing a lot more of MacGyvering, I've noticed. Um, any final thoughts on MacGyver? No, I mean, you know, he, he, he worked for that organization <clears throat> called the Phoenix foundation. <clears throat> and, uh, he, he was, he, I mean, he's the guy that you want to be right. <clears throat> Cause he, he has the answer, the solution to any, any tricky situation that you find yourself in. Um, last, I guess my final thought would be, uh, I thought it was interesting that Henry Winkler was actually the, one of the producers for MacGyver. And remind me who he uh, is. That is the Fonz. Fonzie. Fon- hey. Fonzie. What, what's his last name? Fonzie. Uh, Fonzarelli no, or. Fonzarelli was Fonz- his last oh, name. Oh, that's what it was. Right? Fonzarelli. Yeah. 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 Arthur Fonzarelli. There we go. We figured it out. All right. Number three on Number three on my top five. <clears throat> Has got to go to the A team. Oh, 
So good. You I, have you have this these group of guys these these you know these misfits these outcasts that got themselves in trouble and special forces and they come together and and they seem to be kind of this hodgepodge mix of attitude <laughs> that still want to go out there and kick some butt. Yeah, I mean you can't get much more iconic than the A team. Um, it was filmed from 1983 to 87. Um, I'll go ahead and read a little. Uh, uh, excerpts I stole from IMDb here. At the end of the st- of their stint in Vietnam, Colonel John Hannibal Smith, played by George P- Pepper, and his team were framed for robbing the Bank of Hanoi, which they had done, but uh, under but actually under orders, and were sent to U.S. military prison. Uh, they escaped and went on the run, um, pursued by Colonel uh, Colonel Lynch and later by Colonel Decker. While on the lam, they became heroes for hire working as good guy vigilantes uh, around the U.S. or around the world. Hannibal was their leader and the expert at dis- and, and an expert at disguise. Um, the f- face of the team's con artist and la- was a con artist and ladies' man, Sir- Sergeant Bosco Albert B.A., or Bad Attitude, um, played by Mr. T, was their mechanic, and he took care of the mayhem and intimidation. The final member of the team was Howling Mad Murdoch, um, played by Dwight Schultz, um, he was an expert pilot and a certified lunatic. Um, they, they actually broke him out of the mental hospital whenever they needed him, um, for a mission, uh, for a mission. So like their, their bet, their best possible pilot <laughs> was a the guy they had to, they had to break out of, of the, of the mental institution. Um, that, so that's pretty wild. Uh, one of the things I always thought was really interesting about, um, or I think that people forget about the A team is how big Mr. T really was. I mean, he was one of the he was an A list of A list um, in the eighties. Um, going back to uh, our, our talk on professional wrestling, yeah, he was at WrestleMania one and WrestleMania two and three, I think. Was he? Yeah. So he. So it was all the very beginning of of you know the the first WrestleMania. You know, it was the the whole like MTV collaboration yeah, with the yeah, WWF yeah. and. Uh, he he teamed up with, so he must have teamed up with Hulk Hogan, and they went against um, Roddy Piper and yeah, Rowdy and, Roddy Piper yeah, and 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 Orton, uh, Cowboy Bob Orton, who's Randy Orton's father, who's a big time wrestler these days. Um, but yeah, Cowboy Bob, who had a broken arm for like six years. Yeah, he always had that cast on. I'm his telling, arm. We, we we've got to do another episode and just talk WWF. Eighties <laughs> wrestling. We could go off for a Andre the Giant, oh Jake the goodness. Snake. Yeah. Oh, all of them. Of course, the British Bulldogs. As oh yeah, you were talking British Bulldog. You Dynamite were always uh, Davy Boy Smith and uh, yeah. So kid. I was yeah I was I was the British Bulldog. And this other this other kid that my mom babysat, he was the dynamite kid. We we were the tag team partners in our backyard <laughs> matches on the trampoline. I did all that backyard wrestling also. <laughs> I, oh man, it was fun. Um But you got Mr. T P- I pity the fool. Which yes, which we talked about was uh was actually never even said on the A team. I pity the fool. He, his whole thing was uh he would call people suckers. 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 Uh, but pity, I pity the fool was his catch line in real life. Yeah. Um, so, but it never actually made it on the show. And again, we're talking about a, a show with a really legendary car. Um, there, uh, the, the, the black van was a 1983 GMC Vendura van. Um, the van had, bl- uh, the van was black with red turbine mag wheels, um, all, all black design with, with the ascent, uh, ascenting red, stri- uh, red stripe and, uh, metallic gray rear spoiler. Um, that red stripe though is like the most like iconic part of the, oh, yeah. of the black van. And we, we were joking earlier that uh, Ethan Holub, um, a good buddy of both of ours, he has a 15 passenger van that was white when he got it, and then he uh, he went ahead and got it painted black because who knows why. And uh, does he still does he still have it? So he still has that. Van. So we need and to he have drives a- it all the time. We need um, to go tell him now that he needs to paint the red stripe on it. We need to just go over to his house and do it. <laughs> I think I think that that would be perfectly acceptable. Um, and uh, but yeah, anyways, you can't get much uh, more iconic than that black van. Yeah. Um, do you have any other uh, uh, final thoughts on the eighteen before we jump to number? No, uh, they were just you two? know a bad group of guys <clears throat> going around. So something that I thought was interesting is it was it was a pretty clean show. Yeah. Um, but, um, when I was doing my research, cause I haven't seen an 18 episode in 
really a long time. Um, I was I was noticing that they that they actually would refer to as illicit behavior um, in an interesting way. They would call it jazz. So they they call their he would ba and and they would talk about their jazz cigarettes, which is obviously marijuana, or uh, jazz salt, which is pretty hardcore. That's cocaine. <laughs> um, and then whenever uh, uh, Hannibal would do something uh, wild or crazy. Uh, B.A. would always say, he's on the jazz, man, <laughs> which, which is a really interesting way of getting around the fact that they are um, being naughty. Um, <laughs> being naughty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh. number two, which I would have thought for sure 18 would have been your top one or two. Yeah. So number two. So so I grew up in Jacksonville. I had the quintessential like all-American boy childhood. I was a newspaper boy. My grandpa was the postmaster. I worked at the local grocery store and I became a junior firefighter. But then I was also a a police cadet for the Jacksonville Ah. Police Department. And a friend of mine and I, we would like to put on our uniforms with our badges and get on our bikes and we would cruise around town like we were chips. (laughs) Were you Eric Estrada? I was the cool one. I was Contrarello. So chips, chips is number two on my list. Like, dude, I always loved watching the opening credits because it would show him cruising on their bike, and then it would like, it would like the camera would pan down to like him shifting gears on his motorcycle or on his badge. Or I would always look forward to when it highlighted like his gun strapped to his hip. So the, the, the chips, the, the, the California highway patrol, just the, uh, the, the, the smooth operation that they were. And again, I grew up riding my bike around thinking that I was chips. Uh, my friend, his parents had a old BMW car parked out in front of their driveway that we would pretend was our police car. And his brother was always the bad guy. So he was the one that was always getting handcuffed and tossed in the back of our car. But we loved going around town, acting like we were the chips police officers fighting crime in Jacksonville, Oregon. Wow. <laughs> I was, when you said Jacksonville, I was like, I was like, is it Jacksonville, Oregon? Or did you live in Florida that I didn't realize? Nope, that um, wasn't one of the 24 moves. Because <laughs> then, then your favorite would have been, uh, what was that? Uh, Miami Vice. Uh, yeah, yeah, chips. yeah, yeah. So right, so you had you had John Baker, and then of course you had Ponch or Poncherello, um, with uh, with Sergeant Joseph. You know, always having to to wrangle those two guys in. So so Sergeant jo- Joseph was played by Robert Pine. Uh, Ponch was uh, Eric Estrada, and uh, Officer John Baker was Larry Wilcox. Um, it's so Chips stood for California Highway Patrol. Um, the, in the, in the word chips, the I is lowercase yeah, for the yeah, highway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and it, the whole idea was just following these, uh, these two, uh, motorcycle cops and around, uh, LA. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I thought this was your number five on a list and it's actually your number no, two. It was number two, just because, I mean, it was so much a part of my childhood of just cool. pretending to be chips, you know, riding side by side with my, with my. Good buddy at the time, Josh Mullen, who actually grew up to become a police officer. No kidding. Yeah, yeah, he actually became a, a police officer. And he played. And in your in your friend group, he was the uh, Eric Estrada. Yeah, one. and then his brother, who always was the bad guy, also uh-huh. became a police officer. Oh, there we go. That's that's even better. So yeah. apparently, they actually never even liked each other in real life, too. The two, uh, the really, the, yeah, Estrada and. Uh, uh, Wilcox. They just had a little little coworker spat. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. All right, so we're on to number one. I'm sure you listening at home or in your car have already thought of the one that we're forgetting. Um, it's pretty iconic, and I actually can't find my info on it, so I'm gonna go from memory because I've actually well, I have a I have so, a love for the so show. So number one on my list, hands down, is the Dukes of Hazard. <clears throat> I mean. How can you live through the 80s and not have a deep appreciation for the Duke boys always outsmarting and outrunning Boss Hog (laughs) and Roscoe Pico Train? 
<laughs> and Flash. Remember who Flash was? No. The dog. Oh, there we go. Come on, Flash. Yeah. <laughs> so the Dukes of Hazzard, um, they were down from 79 to 85. Um, I always thought that they were, it was a super cheesy but really fun show. Um, there's certain aspects of it that don't age super great yeah. um, today. In fact, uh, um, uh, you know, some of the little bit of a racist undertones in certain areas. Yeah, you, it was um, always a dream of mine to have a General Lee car, but mm -hmm. I'm I'm a little Glad. more apprehensive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you actually buy a new merchandise today from Goose to Hazard, yeah. there is no uh, Confederate. Confederate flag. Oh, really? It. Yeah. Uh, in, uh, was it 2015? Uh, the, uh, um, actually I, I found, I found a note on it. Uh, in 2015, the then Southern Carolina governor, Nikki Haley spoke out against the depiction of the flag and cultural, uh, in, in the popular culture, uh, Warner brothers elected to stop, uh, licensing products with the original roof. Um, so yeah, pretty interesting that all Dukes of Hazard merchandise doesn't even have the, uh, the new stuff doesn't have the Confederate flag on it. I'll be darned. Yeah, just wow. race history. Well, um, if you remember correctly, these guys were sharpshooters with their bone arrows. <laughs> I they don't were, remember that, actually. They were always <laughs> shooting, you know, arrows that had, like, fire on them to blow up stuff. And and if you mm -hmm. watch the episodes and you know how they, of course, go off the jump and they hit the iconic horn. Yeah, yeah. Like, when you watch the car Which land, I always thought was the coolest. Too. Oh, yeah. Whenever you watch the car land, like, it, the car would all but buckle in two. Like, I don't know <laughs> how many cars they went through in shooting all of the episodes of Duke Hazard. I read it one time, and it was a long time ago, but an insane amount of cars wow. that they went through because of just how many jumps they went off and just demolishing these. But if you watch it, like, the scene will show them landing, and mm -hmm. you can just see just it. The car just There's no way it's apart. running, but then yeah. the next thing is that they're, you know, taken off. They, I, I read somewhere that a lot of the jumps were also done by uh, like toys and they would, oh. they would try to make, they would do like little models and yeah. they would, um, which I thought was, was pretty interesting. And, um, I wonder if we'd even catch that if we were watching it today, you would think that the uh, special effects weren't that great. Back so then, you, of course for, you, you've got, you've got Cooter. Cooter. Who, Cooter was the creator of the General Lee, right? He, he's the one that built the car for the boys. Then you had, you had Deputy Enos, who always had a thing for Daisy Duke. Ah. You know, she could always sucker sucker him over. Again, uh, something that became part of the lexicon, cut off shorts, um, are, are now known as Daisy Dukes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I read in there that, that, that the that they got so popular and that the network was pretty worried about the risque nature of the short shorts that, uh, that, that Catherine Bach who played Daisy Duke, um, actually started wearing pantyhose for all of them. Like oh, really, really? Thin pantyhose. So they wouldn't have some sort of wardrobe mal malfunction, uh, which I thought was pretty, um, probably a smart move to be honest. Not that it did that much. Um, of course you had the, the, had the patriarch of the family. Um, you had, uh, uh, Jesse, Uncle Jesse. Oh, Uncle Jesse. Yeah. Before, uh, before Uncle Jesse was the uh, the the was Stamos character on on Full House. That's why oh, I was yeah, that's Uncle right. Jesse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, the interest, one of the other interesting things I I I, uh, I read about um, Dukes of Hazard is that basically the network had no expectations for the show. They only or originally ordered nine episodes, and it was just to to fill the slot that the incredible Hulk was filling. Oh really? Yeah. So they just wanted like nine weeks to fill in the spot before they could air another season of the incredible Hulk and end up lasting what six seasons. Um, yeah. Another thing I thought was interesting was, so it got so popular that they were actually getting 60,000 fan letters a month. Um, and the wildest part of that was that 35,000 of those a month, were were actually to the General Lee, the, the, the nineteen sixty nine <laughs> Dodge Charger, um, and they people just wanting pictures of it, or they wanted more information. Yeah, they wanted to yeah, learn about you yeah. know, before the internet. You had to like actually write. <laughs> you had to write these, you know, different send fan mail. You yeah. know, before you could do it on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, you know, they'd send fan. So, mail so and, speaking of the General Lee, I've, there's this page or something that I follow on uh -huh. Facebook that has to do with the eighties. Oh. And there's a picture and the picture had the general Lee. It had 
kit. It had the A-Team van. Oh, wow. It also had the old Batmobile, and it also had the Ghostbusters car. You can't get more iconic than this. And it said that if you grew up with these vehicles in your Mm -hmm. life, you had a great childhood. (laughs) (laughs) Super good. So Dukes of Hazzard. So I I, I meant to bring it just for a little show and tell, but I have my metal Dukes of Hazzard lunchbox. Oh, wow. So wow. it's it's in my memorabilia bucket <laughs> along with my countless of and, baseball And it was your original and, one yeah, when mine. you were a kid. Yeah, That's really yeah, cool. Yeah. And it was metal? Yeah. 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 Did you have the thermos still? Uh, no. The thermoses no. were always the first thing that you'd lose. Yeah, yeah. I think I was probably in the last generation of people who had like, you know, the Hey, speaking the, of the thermoses, boxes. actually, I almost oh, forgot. I brought a little show and tell and actually a gift for you. Little, oh, very cool. Little Black Rock Hydro Flask. I love it. Oh, it's for beautiful. You. This is this is great. And actually, what I'd love to do with this is I would love to uh, to give this to somebody who uh, who's some listener. Um, I would love on myself too, but I'm going to. Uh, I'm gonna, <laughs> this is actually beautiful. But I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to give this away to a uh, um, someone who is. Uh, who comments um, and gives maybe that me let's, let's have them give us the, their top five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so someone who does that on maybe Facebook or on, in the comments on like uh, iTunes or wherever you might listen to this, um, let's hear your top five and, and, uh, and whoever we, we like the best for their opinions, we will, uh, we'll give them this very cool hydro flask. This is black rock coffee on it since 2008. This is an actual hydro flask. It's not actual a, uh, hydro. Yeah, it's not a uh, uh, you know knockoff brand no. or something like that. This is the real deal. Hey, speaking of giveaways, you can also follow Black Rock Coffee Bar on Facebook there and Instagram, Black Rock Eugene, and we're we're doing um, giveaways every week up until we open up. Awesome, so, I love yeah. it. Very cool. Um, so, do you have any final uh, final thoughts on the Dukes of Hazard before we uh, we move on? No, I mean, you know, other than my my lifelong child dream of owning the General Lee, there's a there's <laughs> a, a a house down in Medford on a road that I pass all the time, and they had a General Lee sitting out in front of their yard. It didn't didn't run; it was all gutted out. But he just had it mounted out there, and he decks it out for every holiday. That's so cool. For Halloween, he's got it decked out. For Christmas, Santa Claus is sitting in there driving it. Even if it doesn't run, I hope they have the uh, the the iconic uh, horn. Uh, I I I I want to get the horn just yeah. to have in any car that I own. I think that'd be <laughs> yeah. great. So put that in the in the A team. We should put that in Ethan's. Uh, van. <laughs> yeah. Just confuse people. Yeah. Um, so Corey, at the end of every podcast, we like to give shout outs to people or places that are uh, helping to make our community great um, and a great place to live. Uh, do you have anybody you'd like to give a, a little shout out to? You know, uh, a, a great friend of mine that's right here in the community that does uh, excellent work is Chad Basum with mm. Custom Craft Cabinetry. Okay. So he's a he's a good man, and he's been in the Springfield community for 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 forever. Very um, cool. And uh, people does, are able to Google him, and if, yep, they're, if they're looking for he cabinetry does, work, yep, he does he does incredible, very crafted work. Cool. Can you uh, just? Quickly give us his name one more time. Chad Basum with Custom Craft Cabinetry, and those all start with K. Okay, there we go. Thank you. Um, and then I, I'd like to give a, a, a quick shout out to Rudy Korv, um, Creative Designs. Uh, we are uh, we're filming on uh, or we're recording on the sixth of, of March right now, and we just got done with this huge snowstorm that our, our communities have gone through. And man, so many people have 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 come together um and uh and in anyways um but i i did want to give uh some credit to rudy core of creative design um during the wild wild storm that we had uh, at the end of april um, which i got about six, 18 inches at my house in cresswell uh rudy took took flight with his drone and took video of eugene as it was covered in snow um his video was uh, super fun to watch and it had uh, over a third of a million views which for our community i think is pretty huge um and uh anyways i just wanted to say thanks to rudy for taking a video for everybody to see and uh, if you're looking for a creative designer uh you uh you can't really do better than uh, hiring rudy i hope everyone enjoyed this podcast remember to rate comment and subscribe to the eugene life pod that way you do not miss any episodes also one lucky subscriber who shares this episode will win a free black rock hydro flask 
And as always, if you or someone you know is looking to buy, sell, or invest in real estate, go no further than contacting me, Aaron Stansberg, at A-A-R-O-N-S at KW.com. 503-396-1787 and www.theeugenelife.com Also, do not forget to visit the Eugene Blackrock Coffee on River Road after it opens in April. Thank you all so much for supporting local.